Welcome to the American Planning Association podcast. This episode continues our series that takes a look at the people behind the plans, showcasing the work, life, and stories of planners from all across the profession. I'm your host, Courtney Kashima, founder and principal at Muse Community Design, a planning and public engagement studio in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a longtime member of the American Planning Association. Our guest today is Kate Hartley. Kate is the director of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development for the City of San Francisco. She has worked in the public, private, and not-for-profit sectors of housing, including as a nonprofit housing developer. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I'm curious, did you choose housing or did housing choose you? I would say I chose housing, um, although I was lucky enough to get uh, several great breaks in my career, but I really chose housing. I, uh, When I was a student, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and I actually was in a graduate studies program at UC Berkeley in legal history. But the program was wonderful because it allowed me to take classes wherever I wanted on campus in addition to my law studies. And I wandered over to the Department of Urban Planning one day and signed up for a couple of classes in theories of urban planning, and I was completely hooked. So when I left school, I got a job at an entry-level position in housing and never looked back. Excellent. What does someone typically do with a legal history degree? I'm curious. You teach legal history, and that's pretty much it. (laughs) So has that come in handy in the housing world? It actually has. (laughs) Just in terms of thinking about... um, how our communities evolve and uh, thinking critically about um, problem solving and and the history that uh, ends up in an urban planning problem or a housing problem that we need to address um, it it actually has been helpful so but I'm really glad that I'm uh, in housing and not a legal studies professor. <laughs> Many cities are adopting or tweaking incentives to create affordable housing. Tell us about what San Francisco has done, particularly with your bonus program. We have, first of all, um, a very strong inclusionary housing requirement that is not incentive-based at all. Every market rate developer has to provide affordable housing in one one of three ways. You can build it on-site, you can build it off-site at a different um, property, or you pay a fee. Uh, However, we uh, do have an affordable housing bonus program. It's called Home SF. And uh, in exchange for providing 30% affordable housing, you get two extra floors of height. So um, we are hopeful that that program will produce more affordable housing. It's relatively new. In addition, San Francisco has several very large developments underway where we negotiate uh, on a um, case-by-case basis with developers to get more affordable housing than our normal inclusionary requirement. So, for example, we have a development in progress right now where the developer will need some zoning changes and other land use changes, and we will require that development to provide 33% affordable housing. And the city is actually working to find additional funding so that we can get the affordable housing component up to 50% of all the units. That would be across the board? or it, For this particular development. Oh, for that development. Yeah. Okay. We, um, we try to get more affordable housing in every way that we can. Sounds like it. I'm curious, uh, the two stories and the 30%, um, where did those numbers come from? Well, our normal inclusionary requirement with no incentives whatsoever is 19% on-site. 
And so we did feasibility analyses. We looked at uh, parcels throughout the city and, and tried to find where added density made sense for the community, for the neighborhood context, and found that by adding two stories uh, in most of these um, these neighborhoods that could accommodate additional height, that um, 30% was sort of the sweet spot where uh, developers could still accommodate it uh, from a financial standpoint um, in exchange for this other affordable housing. And it has to be pretty powerful that you've been a housing developer yourself. So when they come and complain about certain things, uh, you're able to be right there with them and say, this I get, this won't fly. Is that is that how it goes? I do rely on my housing developer background quite a bit, um, both from the ability to run numbers myself uh, for financial feasibility studies to understand the challenges that developers face. It is really not easy to build a building, and uh, I know that from with firsthand experience, so um, it's been quite helpful for me. Now, Mayor Ed Lee passed away suddenly just a few months ago. Tell us about his legacy and what it was like to work for a mayor who had roots in activism and housing. We really miss the mayor. He was great to work for. I feel so lucky to have worked for him, even though it was for a short time. And one of the greatest things about working for him was that you could really trace the arc of his career from his early days as a new graduate from Berkeley Law School and a a civil rights attorney defending the rights of public housing residents all the way to his days uh, in the mayor's role where he again was defending public housing residents. Um, But this time he was able to bring huge amounts of resources And uh, one of the most important things that he did was demand that my department and um, other agencies in my department work with the Housing Authority to transform every unit of public housing in the city. Uh, Those units had become quite distressed over the years, and he knew that public housing residents faced discrimination and isolation and a lack of resources Uh, He knew it from his days as a civil rights attorney, but also because he lived in public housing as a child in Seattle. So uh, he was able to bring the full strength of the mayor to that effort, and he really succeeded. And I felt so lucky to be part of that. So I was reading that in 2014, Mayor Lee issued an ambitious pledge to construct or renovate 30,000 homes in San Francisco by 2020 with 10,000 of those dedicated to low-income residents and another 5,000 for middle-income households. That responsibility falls largely under your command. How is it going? It is going great so far, um, for the most part. We have built or preserved over 18,700 units, so we're well on our way to meeting his goal. Of the 10,000 units that he required be affordable to low-income households, we have produced over 6,400. There's one component of that goal that we really haven't done a good job meeting yet, and that is 5,000 units affordable to middle-income households. It's such a difficult process to build housing affordable to middle-income households in San Francisco because rents have become so high that even a household that makes $100,000 a year can't really afford market rate rent. And unlike housing for low-income households, there's no federal or state programs to help us subsidize that housing. 
So we haven't done a good job on those 5,000 units, even while we are building housing for low-income households because we can use the federal low-income housing tax credit program. So we are working hard to fix that problem. Uh, We have made changes to our inclusionary housing program in the last year uh, that provide housing opportunities for middle-income households. Previously to last year, they were rental housing that was inclusionary was only available to low-income households. So we're trying to make a dent there, but um, it's hard without federal or state investment. I'm interested in how some of your housing work plays out at the neighborhood level. I was reading about the Mission Action Plan 2020, which has a strong emphasis on decelerating the rapid displacement of both residents and businesses in that famous neighborhood. Can you tell us more about that effort or similar ones? Sure. That is a part of the um, Mission Action Plan 2020, and or we call it MAP 2020. And MAP 2020 is this fantastic collaborative effort that uh, is the um, coming together of neighborhood activists and city staff to try to address a very high rate of eviction and displacement from the mission. The mission is a gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful community in San Francisco with two BART stops. Uh, It has um, a very high percentage of Latino households, and we've seen a decline in those households over time. We went from about 50% Latino households in 2000 to about uh, 40% now. And so MAP 2020 really came from the community. Uh, It was a demand from the community that government, local government, step in and stop the transformation of the community away from its origins as a working class neighborhood. And so we uh, came together under, you know, lots of difficult circumstances, lots of mistrust, lots of animosity. Um, community felt like government wasn't doing enough. Uh, government felt defensive, but. Um, through dedication on both sides, we've made some progress. So in 2014, we had about 200 affordable housing units that were in very, very early stages of planning. And today there's 1,000 units worth about uh, $300 million of city investment alone that are either under construction or about to start construction. There's been uh, work from the planning department and our Office of Economic and Workforce Development to protect legacy businesses, to protect Latino um, cultural institutions and retail stores. Um, So there has been quite a um, great agreement between the community and government. Not all agreement. (laughs) We still have lots of things that um, we don't quite see eye to eye on, but we've made a lot of progress, and it shows by the high investment in the neighborhood, but also because the Latino population in the mission has now stabilized. We're no longer seeing a loss of Latinos. And so um, that's really something that's promising um, while we still have a lot of work to do. Sounds like one to watch as a model for other efforts around the country. I I think it is. And I really um, give great um, kudos to the planning department. Claudia Flores was the convener. Uh, She's a planner, and John Ram is the director of planning. They've done tremendous work in bringing people together. And uh, from the standpoint of 
approaching urban problems in a collaborative way, I, I do think it's a good model. And uh, we, we'll be continuing it, so it is something to watch. I'm wondering what is the most misunderstood part of your work? I think, from my perspective, the um, the need for affordable housing is so great, and the demand is so strong, and people are really suffering without affordable housing, and so people want it right away. And so it's hard to go to communities and say, well, we need $300,000 per unit to subsidize affordable housing, and it might take four or five years from beginning to end to build affordable housing. It's hard to explain the complexity of actually getting a building built that you want to be proud of that's going to last 100 years, that's going to be super high quality. You need so much money, and getting that money is so difficult, and then going through the design and entitlement process takes such a long time that it's hard for people to understand, you know, when the need's so great, why does it take so long? But um, those constraints on affordable housing production are very real, and we do struggle with them all the time. I'm wondering if you can share an, an accomplishment of which you are most proud. I am so proud of the work that we've done in San Francisco to transform public housing. The federal investment in public housing really started to drop off in the late 70s, early 80s, and it, it never recovered to a level that was sufficient to keep public housing high quality. So in San Francisco, like many cities across the country, we had very distressed conditions in our public housing portfolio. And over the last four years, we have revitalized 3,500 units we have another um, 2,000 units that are in process of being revitalized. And uh, we did that with great support from the mayor and great support from every department in the city, as well as strong community support. And we did it all without displacement. So that's really unique uh, as we look historically at public housing rebuilding. We did not want to lose our public housing families. And so we have figured out a way to rebuild without displacing anybody, and we're, we're really proud of that. It's so important. Obviously, planners have a particular responsibility to identify trade-offs, unintended consequences, and um, I think we've seen in other cities where they think in the name of doing something good, you know, upgrading or creating new affordable housing, there has been displacement, and you're, you know, permanently altering people's connections to other people and places of worship and um, daily life. So it's good to hear that you guys are not only paying attention to that, but it sounds like probably tracking it too. We're tracking it. We are 100% committed to not displacing families. We are still suffering the trauma of urban renewal of the 50s, 60s, and 70s where whole neighborhoods were lost and the tragedy of that is still palpable for many families in San Francisco. And so it's something that we believe strongly in and are not deviating from our goal of non-displacement. So I was at a conference recently talking with some folks from San Francisco, actually, and they were surprised to hear that the city of Chicago, where I'm based, um, has a residency requirement for its employees. I think they said that that's actually illegal in San Francisco. Um, and I always love hearing about how different cities do things differently. 
I'm wondering if there's any policies or programs from other cities that you found either strange or inspiring or both. Well, I have been inspired by many colleagues around the country and actually around the world uh, because so many of our big cities are struggling with the same issues. So I look at New York and all the work that they're doing, uh, right to council and uh, really embarking on a, a huge affordable housing campaign. Everything they do, I divide by 10 and then try to apply to San Francisco. Um, Seattle is doing great work uh, producing affordable housing at very high rates. The city of Vancouver is way out in front of everybody with their investment in modular housing for homeless households. And by providing modular housing that's high quality, they're able to produce housing at a much lower price point and faster so they can really address their homeless problem. Um, I would love to see that in San Francisco. Um, also, the city of L.A. is really trying to grapple with its homeless problem. So um, there is really good work going on, and uh, we're learning from our colleagues every day. So I'd like to ask all of my guests a, a pair of questions, the first of which is, in, what, in which arenas has planning noticeably moved the needle? What do you think we're getting right these days? I think a planner's perspective as holistic and thinking about communities and regions that really serve the, the people who live there well and, and really focusing on things like we need open space and we need great recreational space and we need parks where people can convene while at the same time also uh, needing high density housing and uh, housing that is affordable to people and housing that provides great light and air and environmental uh, amenities. Um, bringing that all together is not easy at all, but um, planning is a way to do that. So I think that um, as we look forward uh, through the, the next 10, 20 years when we see continued population growth in our large cities and we have these um, affordable housing crises, which are so real, and we have homelessness that is very difficult for so many cities, including San Francisco, to grapple with, the role of the planner and figuring out how to bring density, affordability, and livability together is really central. And where would you say is there still more work to do in the planning field? Well, those, th those three things, affordability, livability, and density, um, it is the holy grail. Um, you know, we haven't been able to provide enough housing for homeless households uh, in San Francisco, New York, L.A., Seattle, Portland. Um, so many cities are struggling with it. So um, we, ha we do have a lot of work to do. We have our work cut out for us because of more macro trends like growing income disparity and uh, a tax structure that favors the wealthy and also disinvestment in housing at the federal level. So there are things well beyond the realm of the planner that work against us. Um, so trying to figure out ways to mitigate those effects uh, is something that we all have to come to terms with. Yeah, I find in my work, increasingly planners are asked to be communicators, you know, to distill complex and interconnected issues down to something 
the public can sort of get behind and care about, whether it's elected officials or the general public or a neighborhood where you're doing some work. And I'm not sure we've set ourselves up for success there with the tools and trainings of, for example, someone who really does have a communications background. I think that's right. I think that uh, more and more we're seeing the need to um, be conveners and educators and communicators. Uh, We need to do a better job of listening to communities and really hearing what people want and need. We need to address longstanding inequities, and that takes, you know, getting out of your office and understanding where communities have come from and, and again, listening to what people need and want, and then bringing it all together and explaining resource constraints or legal constraints. Uh, It's not easy, but I agree that um, communication is essential right now. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. It was very insightful to hear about the initiatives around housing that San Francisco is undertaking and the other cities that you look to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the American Planning Association podcast. For more information and to hear past episodes, visit planning.org slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Have an idea for a podcast? Send them to podcast at planning.org.